Midwife calling. Welcome to Poplar Opinion, our Call the Midwife podcast. We uh, are recapping every episode of Call the Midwife without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paula Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the sixth episode of season four of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Dominic Leclerc and written by Heidi Thomas. Dominic Leclerc directed the last episode... Uh, episode five of this season and Heidi Thomas created the show the last time she was credited as the individual writer of an episode was in the second episode of this season which is the uh, first episode with Nurse Crane. Do you want to take us away on this episode Jen? I want to say even before I recap uh, I think last episode I mentioned like who is taking care of Angela what is happening there? And in this very episode, they mention Mrs. Penny, the nan- nanny for Angela. So <laughs> I, I got told immediately. <laughs> we were in a totally unrelated to anything called a midwife. I was just uh, complaining to you about that it annoys me when people complain about plot holes when actually they weren't paying attention to what happens. Yep. And I think you were paying attention, but this is like... There is answer. There, there is are a- answers to the questions. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the recap. Mature Jenny narrates about the religious life as we watch Sister Mary Cynthia in her studies. Sister Monica Joan is ill, and Sister Julianne is caring for her. Nurse Crane sends everyone out on their assignments, and we hear that Sister Evangelina is coming back soon to be assigned lighter duties. Timothy enters with the insulin, and Nurse Crane bemoans how many diabetics can't give their own shots. She visits Paulette, a young woman living with her mother, and gives her a shot, letting her know she needs to start doing her own injections. Peter visits a camp of travelers, also known as gypsies to them, inquiring about some stolen hubcaps. They are unwelcoming, but Peter soon notices a newborn amongst them. Patsy and Delia speak about the upcoming Square Dance fundraiser when Sister Evangelina enters, immediately clashing with Nurse Crane and later disagreeing with the lunch. Paulette sneaks out to visit her boyfriend, Vaughn, who finds his brother and other kids playing with the stolen hubcaps. Fred leads his volunteer defense around Poplar, with Violet G. joining them, advising Fred on his bootlaces. He visits her the next day, and they chat about their children and late spouses. Trixie and Sister Mary Cynthia visit the caravan to check on Brita and her new baby. They are not entirely welcome, but find the baby well, and they meet Attracta, an older pregnant woman who cares for her grandmother and delivers all the babies. All right. Do you want to start? There's a bunch going on here, but do you want to start by uh, directly addressing... uh, the slur (laughs) yes just in case people don't know which i'm hoping that they do uh we don't use the g word anymore to refer to travelers or roma people which are not necessarily the same thing uh these uh people that they encounter are likely irish travelers i believe you said yeah so like i would you know 
Um, I would argue strongly that there is a difference between saying a word and using a word. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to say because it's said in the show. Uh, so they, they refer to them, I think, only once or twice as gypsies. That is a, an offensive slur, um, usually directed towards uh, Roma people. But it's like all offensive things. It's directed kind of vaguely. That's part of why it's offensive. It's, it's inaccurate. And so it's referred to all kinds of traveling people. And these people in this show aren't Roma. They're Irish travelers. Not the same thing. But both called the same thing by outsiders. So they, they both are traveling people with caravans uh, and similar... Um, negative stereotypes about them and we see those negative stereotypes playing out like mm -hmm. being addressed by this episode and being held by some of the characters in this episode it reminds me a little bit of earlier this season uh the episode where there was the uh gay man and peter was like part of the cops who were entrapping him and we see here peter being like talking to an underling or like a lower ranked cop of like you will have negative stereotypes about these people but don't follow don't like uh follow your negative stereotypes don't antagonize don't just make assumptions we're here just to be polite like we we're here to ask questions we're not assuming that they're guilty um peter is learning <laughs> maybe peter's less you know racist than he is homophobic um <laughs> The, it's just an interesting juxtaposition to see the way that we're treating uh, stereotypes in this episode versus the last one. Mm -hmm. That, like, here we're acknowledging, like, the cops assume that the travelers stole the hubcaps because they're transient people who come in and rob. Mm -hmm. Those are the negative stereotypes about them. But of the two police officers who go, Peter is the one that we know and like is the one saying, like, we can't assume, we just want to ask questions, and I like seeing that. I like, uh, I think throughout this episode, the theme is, you know, not judging uh, people by their, by assumptions and by their past actions or by, like, their mm -hmm. families and things like that, and we'll see that with Vaughn especially. Uh, speaking of the Camp of Travelers, Attracta is played by Maria Do Doyle Kennedy, who I love. She play has played... Catherine of Aragon in The Tudors, and she was in Orphan Black, and I just, I don't know, I love this actress, so I'm like, yay, an actress that I recognize. I really love seeing her. She is uh, also uh, in the Cartoon Saloon movie Wolfwalkers, which oh, I have to yes. recommend so strongly. She voices one of the characters in that and is great every mm -hmm. time i see her i also i'm happy to see her in this because i'm happy every time i see her yeah i knew she was in call the midwife at one point and i couldn't remember what episode so i was pleasantly surprised but all that being said let's talk a little bit about uh sister evangelina returns mm -hmm. uh <laughs> And, of course, I mean, we already saw that she clashed with Nurse Crane before she left, but her and Nurse Crane are just these, like, similar personalities in opposite directions. And so I just, it's hard for them to get along. I love, Sister Angelina comes in like a hurricane. Yeah. Like, we have some 
talk of her returning before she actually comes on screen. They're like, when she mm. comes back, la la la. And then uh, she just comes in. Patsy and Delia are uh, talking in a hallway and about, like, other things. Uh, having a break. Talking to each other kind of socially. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sister Evangelina comes in the door and is like, There's a girl out there with a pierced ear that's turning septic. Go ahead and take care of her. And I've told them. And I've this. And she like, storms past. And Patsy's <laughs> like, Welcome back, Sister <laughs> Evangelina. <laughs> and it's really funny. And yep. also, in that uh, clash with Sister Evangelina and Phyllis, I just have to... Uh, repeat the lines that made me crack up so much that there's a a kid with a lego stick up her nose and phyllis says i recommend a cold compress and digital pressure and sister evangelina thank you i'll try vaseline and tweezers (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to do neither of the things oh it's so funny yep i love them clashing and then the the, she gives her the lunch you mentioned is, uh, again, Phyllis recommends, like, you don't want all that animal matter, because we know Phyllis is a vegetarian, and she gives her a cheese pie, and Sister Evangelina's like, cheese is animal matter, and this is a quiche! Exactly. <laughs> you know my feelings on quiche. <laughs> oh. oh, I love, the two of them are just, I love, yeah, they're so much alike, and yet they have these really distinct differences of kind of class and upbringing and then like you know religious life it's so fascinating all right so let's move on to um the other plot which is paulette and uh the young diabetic woman uh so we have the two like kind of outside the noddest plots are the travelers and paulette who uh has they have to come over and give her insulin and I don't know how long this was after the development of insulin, but this is, you know, early on in diabetes world. Yeah, I could look it up, but, like, insulin has not been around for that long, really. Yeah, which is why the nurses have to administer these shots every day. So I looked it up, and insulin was uh, invented by Canadians, Banting and Best, in the 20s. So it's been a while. Okay, so it's been a little while. I mean, I don't know how long it took it to get into public use, but that's good. That's So that's still a while. Um, but the nurses have to administer it daily. So uh, Nurse Crane is over bringing Paulette her insulin. Uh, Paulette clearly has uh, what's now known as type 1 diabetes, what back then would have been known as juvenile diabetes. So this is something she was uh, born with or developed young this isn't the type 2 diabetes that's uh that you develop in later later life um so this is probably why her mom is so protective is that this is something that they've been dealing with her whole young life yeah and i mean like insulin's developed in the 20s this is the 60s so uh she's had she would have had insulin her whole life but her mother would have known diabetics who didn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, and not like, not like that's necessary, but like in terms of not like knowing diabetics without insulin is necessary to understand how serious diabetes is. But for context, like without insulin, diabetes is 
often deadly, mm-hmm. even with insulin, and like extremely debilitating without insulin treatments. Yeah. And so like all of that to say her mother is, we get the sense that her mother, not that we get the sense, we see that her mother is overprotective mm-hmm. and controlling, but also that she has reason to be overprotective, that like she, the health risks are real and serious. Yeah. I like that uh, Phyllis calls all the diabetics mollycoddled. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great word. It's a great word. <laughs> They've been mollycoddled. We can teach them how to inject insulin herself. Are you decent under that frou-frou house coat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Phyllis. She's so great. Um, also, like, you mentioned uh, in your recap, that, but we haven't mentioned it yet, uh, Sister Monica, it's like such a tiny little plot, but Sister Monica Joan is sick and getting penicillin, um, which is also not remotely a new medicine, but like uh, a new to Sister Monica Joan. New to Sister Monica Joan's worldview, right? She calls it potions of mold. Mm-hmm. She thinks of penicillin as this newfangled medicine like newfangled potion and we have sister julienne caring for sister monica joan in a a little echo of how paulette's mother is taking care of her Mm -hmm. and inject like giving her medication that's weird to her and that is nevertheless uh necessary like there's a little a little echo Mm -hmm. so the last little plot uh in this episode is fred and violet yeah, which is kind of fun. Fred is has a new lady friend who he's uh, chatting with, and like they clearly have known each other, fringe known each other for a long time. But this is the first like real conversation that they're having about their both of their spouses died in the war. They both have children who have grown up and moved out, and they're both alone. And it's kind of sweet. Yeah, we I see think. them flirting with each other. Mm-hmm. It's nice that Fred has someone because it we is. know we've seen him sad about his wife who passed yeah. away in the Blitz, I believe. We've seen him sad about his wife and we've seen him sad about his daughters don't live. We find out later in this episode, but the specifics, but we know they aren't around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, I mean, like little, I mentioned also, it's not even... Uh, enough to qualify as a plot, but we do get a little glimpse of Patty and Delia. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking, Patsy. Pat, sorry, Patsy and Delia, speaking of uh, uh, flirtations. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on. Nurse Crane visits Paulette, finding her ill in the morning, and she is suspicious that Paulette is pregnant. Later, when the test comes back positive, she informs Paulette and her mother to unhappy results. Her mother sees Vaughn as a criminal, but the real danger is that diabetes makes pregnancy dangerous and Paulette requires a legal abortion. Attracta takes care of her dying mother as Sister Mary Cynthia helps by bringing a pot to make it easier to drink. She also looks over Attracta and offers to help with the birth of her 11th child. Fred invites Violet to the square dance. Sheila and Timothy clash over Tim wanting to wear long pants for school. Paulette wants to keep her baby, and Vaughn wants to marry her, but they're rebuffed by her mother. 
Vaughn returns the stolen hubcaps to Nurse Crane, and the two of them have a long discussion with her revealing that she was born out of wedlock. Sheila is overwhelmed with too much work and asks the nuns to help with the labels for Timothy's clothes. The nuns deliver, and she comes home to labeled clothes and long trousers. The police, including Peter, try to evict the travelers, but Sister Mary Cynthia stands up for them, saying they cannot be moved as they are under her care. A tractor goes into labor and Sister Mary Cynthia delivers the baby, allowing her grandmother Pegine to hold him and talking about how they are both too old for this. Later, Sister Mary Cynthia arrives to find Pegine has passed away. So you said his... Pegine is not Attracta's mother. Did I say that? You did. I mean, did, did, is she not? Is she I mean? is not. Oh. Uh, I I didn't quite catch, in my notes it says old relative, because I didn't quite catch exactly what her relation is. But at one point Attracta says, like, she took care of me more than my own mother. Oh, uh, whoops. Yeah. So, I think that matters a little bit. Mm-hmm. In fact, more than a little bit. Thematically, like, we have... Uh, in... Paulette and uh, Attract and Pegine and uh, Phyllis, we have this like through line of, you know, Phyllis's uh, mother is unmarried. Um, Paulette wants to be an unmarried mother or, or like a young mother. She wants to get married, I guess. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but she's pregnant outside she's of pregnant marriage. She's pregnant outside of, of marriage. And we have, like, it's not quite the same that, like, Attracta's um, relative aunt, grandmother, I don't know, I didn't catch it, Piggine, like, treated her like a daughter when she wasn't really... There's just this, like, sense of, like, um, traditional uh, nuclear family is not the only kind of family in this episode. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, like... Uh, there's a lot of different kind of uh, orientations of families uh, that we see mostly kind of, I don't know, we see in this in this episode. I mean, so I think it kind of matters that Pegine isn't Attracta's mother and that Attracta isn't, uh, what's her name? Brita. Brita. Uh, Brita's mother. Attracta is Brita's aunt. And uh, um, Pegine is Attracta's grandmother or aunt or something. And that, like, they're not mothers taking care of the daughters, but they are still family. Mm. And then we have uh, Phyllis, who, like, who's... Yeah, speaking of slurs, and we, we dance around it in the episode, but again, I'm going to say it because it gets said in the episode that, like, there's no nice way of saying it, but they're worried that uh, Paulette's kid will be a bastard and Phyllis was a bastard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, her mother was a wrong'un, uh, she says. Like, mm-hmm. her mother didn't meet the social expectations. It's like... I don't know where exactly I'm going with this, but there's, like, these orientations of parent and child or parent, surrogate, and child or that are not uh, traditional, and sometimes that's bad and sometimes that's 
causes problems, but we see Phyllis as like, but it didn't stop me from making something of myself. It once again comes back to uh, socially acceptable and stereotypes is, you know, there's stereotypes that go along with being a bastard child. There's stereotypes and, and assumptions that people will make about these travelers and people raised by not their actual mother and all this that uh of this theme of the episode of judging people based on preconceived notions Mm -hmm. and no one would have the preconceived notion about phyllis unless she told them because she defies those stereotypes this is you mentioned earlier that like maybe a difference in sister evangelina and phyllis's upbringing um and we then we talked about it off mic a little bit but let's bring it on mic that like until the end of this episode, I would assume and we would assume that Phyllis has had a more uh, upper class upbringing than Sister Evangelina. And we see that, like, we don't quite know what her entire upbringing has been, but it certainly wasn't, uh, like, um, the uh, heights of society. No. Like, we don't know, just because her mother wasn't married, we don't know that that means that she was poor, necessarily. Uh, we do know Sister Evangelina grew up poor. Mm-hmm. But we do also know that, like, Phyllis did not have the, like, uh, wealthy, comfortable, uh, upper-class upbringing of a Sister Monica Joan or, um, mm-hmm. or Chummy. Yeah. Right? Absolutely not. No, she is not there class or whatever and she didn't maybe seem like that but she seems so like not just competent but like her vegetarianism and her uh, self-possession and her like she has a certain kind of a certain kind of sophistication that comes that we would expect to come from like upbringing Mm -hmm. and it doesn't match with what we expect from upbringing from unmarried an unmarried mother right Mm -hmm. yeah all just like it shows how she's rebelled against those stereotypes exactly do you want to talk a little bit about we've kind of danced around it uh while we're talking about stereotypes and expectations do you want to uh talk directly about vaughn and his whole deal yeah so vaughn uh it's mentioned that he was in borstal that is a juvenile detention so he's done his stint in borstal um he clearly comes from a family from like a poor family that has has criminal history that it seems like his brothers or his and his parents and whatever have all had their uh brushes with the law and therefore uh he can't like his Pauline, Paulette's mother cannot see him as anything but a criminal and he he fights hard to uh to defy those stereotypes but he doesn't at the end yeah we haven't quite got to the yeah to the very end but very end but the uh he like paulette's mother says that he's not good enough for paulette in almost so many words like there's no family worse than his family we Mm -hmm. see his brothers stealing hubcaps and he has his line of like the brother, the brother is like, it's just funny. Dad'll think it's funny, mm-hmm. and he says, "Dad has a funny sense of humor, but crimes aren't jokes." Yeah, <laughs> and we see this like con- 
this uh, contrast of him trying to be uh, a legally upstanding citizen in a family that isn't. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. And he, and specifically in this episode, like, oh, one of the, Paulette and Vaughn's plot, right, is so interesting because there is, uh, Paulette and Vaughn think of themselves and think of their story as, like, the world is judging me because I'm not good enough and because we're not married, but we're going to have this baby because we love each other. And, like, her mother is sort of that. And uh, Phyllis is like, you have diabetes and having a baby will kill you. Mm-hmm. And that, like, it's part of why, part of why it's, like, true that Paulette is not mature enough. Like, she's 17, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, age aside, she's not thinking maturely about her life and future. Uh in ways that make it seem like her mother's kind of right. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of. Her mother's right that she isn't able to take care of herself kind of emotionally by making choices that are what's best for herself and for her future and for her baby. Um, so they cast themselves as like it's us against the world. And then we see that like for Phyllis especially, like the not being married is, is irrelevant to her. Mm-hmm. Like, pregnancy and diabetes is very dangerous, especially when you're young and especially when la 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 specifics, I don't know, of when it's okay to be diabetic. Oh, back then it wasn't at all? Never? Yeah, it's only recently that it has become, not, I mean, recently in general terms, that it has been okay to be pregnant and have diabetes. It was... It's it's something they talk about even in the episode that maybe someday mm-hmm. you'll be able to. And I don't know if it would have happened in Paulette's lifetime, but it wasn't until later that anyone with diabetes was able to safely have a baby. And if Paulette is uh, 17 in the 60s, then she would be in her 40s in the 90s. That's old, but that's how old... Uh, uh... That's a good point. Attractive. <laughs> That's a good point. <gasps> what? <laughs> this show takes place so long ago that I'm like, it does no relation to our current times. It's not that long ago at <laughs> it's all. It's not even that long ago, no. Many of our people we know were born in the 60s and that wasn't that long ago. Anyway, can we talk briefly about Timothy and his <laughs> desire for long pants or long trousers, I should say. Yes. Uh, pants are underpants in the UK. And trousers are always long. You don't have to say long trousers. Trousers are long. Trousers are long. Yeah. Knickerbockers. <laughs> I, I I went down a big rabbit hole about like, <laughs> Tell me what is the hole. deal with short pants and why, why were, why was that a thing? And it, it's just like, because... You know, Victorian era, children were all put in dresses, boys, girls, whatever. And there was a time when uh, you as a little boy, five or so, got to wear pants for the first time. So you didn't have to wear a dress anymore. And then when you hit puberty, those pants got to go to your ankles. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, And that was... uh, 
it was a thing in the UK. It was a thing in, in the US as well. Uh, you'll see pictures of young, like, I saw pictures of uh, newsboys wearing their, like, knickerbockers with the socks pulled up. And so, like, I, I, I always felt like when I watched this kind of show, especially called The Midwife, it's like, it's freezing cold out and Timothy is in shorts. But it would be like, they'd have their socks pulled all the way up, which is how right. they could be warm enough. But it uh, was not all that long ago that this was a thing that you boys wore short pants. Even now, the uh, really high upper class British people like the royal family, Prince George wore shorts all the time. Any pictures that you have of Prince George and Prince Louis as as children, they're in shorts. And it's not until they're older that they'll be in, you'll see them in pants. And it was the same with Prince William and Prince Harry. And like, it's a, a thing that I just like blows my mind. It's this weird, like, okay, you're old enough to wear proper long pants now. <laughs> but, uh, but Timothy is of that age. He's just barely like, he's like 12, 13. He is, uh, you know, probably his friends are getting their long pants now, but well, he's not says, ready. Other people will be wearing shorts. Yes, and he does. Timothy says other people have got different legs. <laughs> that is also true. Is that we have the whole polio thing on top of this? Is that his legs are not are still uh, scarred or whatever with polio? And also, just he's tall. He's tall. Like that's a reference to. His height, yeah. <laughs> we have Phyllis makes the joke like you're growing like rhubarb, haha. Yeah, that, that's an interesting too. Like a couple of scenes earlier, Phyllis makes he like comes in and she's like, "Oh, you're getting so tall. You're growing like rhubarb, haha." And then many scenes later, he's like, "I want trousers, not shorts." Nurse Crane says, "I have legs like rhubarb," and she's an old lady. What are the kids gonna say? Yeah, absolutely. And that I really like that scene because it's. On one hand, like, haha, silly, but also, like, Phyllis didn't intend to be teasing him, mm-hmm. but he took it as teasing. Oh, I, I gotta go off on a little rant here because I have a policy. I work, you know, in a children's library. I have a policy for my staff and myself that we don't comment on kids' bodies because kids will take the most innocuous, you think, innocuous comment, and it will go into their psyche. Like, uh, I had a staff who was commenting on a set of twins where one was was much taller than the other. And she was like, wow, I can't believe you're twins. One of you is so much taller, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, shut that down. It doesn't matter that it's true. You're commenting on these kids' bodies. And that is something, A, that they probably hear a lot. And B, that now is part of their like of their psyche is i'm the small one i'm the tall one i'm big for my age all those things kids don't need to hear that yeah at all and so an innocuous comment like you're growing like rhubarb becomes my legs are like rhubarb they look bad exactly so innocuous comments to children can have these lasting effects so be aware when you talk to children, that you're talking about them them as whole people, not commenting on their bodies, even in innocuous ways. And I really liked, I totally uh, seconded everything you say. I love that 
and I really liked in this episode that it wasn't a big deal, but like there was no malice or even teasing in what Phyllis, but how how Timothy internalized that. She didn't say your legs are like rhubarb. She said you're growing like rhubarb. Mm-hmm. But he heard, I. she said, I have legs like rhubarb. Uh, you know, like, it's mm-hmm. just the, how it gets internalized. I thought that was really well uh, dramatized yeah. without making it super heavy-handed or making a big deal about it that, like, he felt teased. Mm-hmm. And he's worried that, like, what are the kids going to say? She's an old lady. <laughs> yeah. I didn't expect to talk so much about this, but this just, like, it relates back to the relationship that Paulette has with her mother is that overprotectiveness, I don't really want you to grow up, mm-hmm. is how kind of all mothers feel yeah you're right the the shorts symbolize wanting to keep him in childhood and the trousers symbolize him wanting to step into adulthood and that's exactly paulette's relationship with her mother is the same dynamic and we see in timothy and uh his parents that like sheila wants to keep him a child but uh patrick buys him the trousers and it's like just let him wear trousers i always wanted to and never could and then he gets to mm-hmm. and that like good uh, our our model the show's model of good parenting uh allows the child to grow up uh and the show's model of not that like i think paulette's mother i she is overprotective and she yelled like she's not just overprotective she like hurls insults at her daughter Mm -hmm. so she's not a model of good parenting but she like her overprotectiveness is understandable but the show's model of ungood parenting is like trying to hold her child back into childhood more than is appropriate Mm -hmm. um have we talked enough about paulette we didn't really mention we haven't really mentioned the uh, abortion like, really? Yeah, let's maybe get into that in our next section. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Attracta and Brita first, mm-hmm. and Pagin, that uh, Attracta allows Sister Mary Cynthia to help her. Partly it seems like because Pagin was the midwife, the birth helper for all of Attracta's pregnancies, and Attracta is the helper for the younger girls. But there's, since Pegin is dying, there's no one really to help Attracta. Right. And so I think that's the reason that she let, allows Sister Mary Cynthia to come and help her. Mm-hmm. And they bond that I, in a way that I really like how uh, Sister Mary Cynthia, and before when she was just Cynthia, her gentleness and... Uh, kind of coming to people on their own terms is such a great character trait of hers. And I think that's what uh, attracts, attracted to like her and makes her a good nurse for her is she'll, she sees, you know, Attracta is helping Pagin in her, you know, old age, she can't eat. And so Sister Mary Cynthia doesn't like take over, try and take, Pagin to the hospital, she brings a teapot that will help her drink the broth more easily. She comes to these travelers on their own terms. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that in the uh, way that she treats Attracta and Pagin. Like, exactly as you say, I'm kind of repeating, but like, 
she can treat attractive because of how she cared for Pegine. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Moving on to uh, the last bit of the episode. Paulette is sent to the maternity home, but Vaughn and Paulette decide to run away. They take shelter in the woods, but Paulette quickly turns ill. As the nurses get ready for a square dance, Nurse Crane is awkward and worried about Paulette. Fred attends with Violet and all dance and have great fun. In the woods, however, Paulette gets worse and Vaughn steals a car to take her back to the maternity home. He rushes to the dance to retrieve Dr. Turner on the orders of Sister Evangelina. Paulette is taken to the hospital, but Vaughn is arrested for stealing the car. He calls Nurse Crane, who promises to testify in his defense. The travelers memorialize Pegine by burning her trailer with her body inside. Sister Mary Cynthia returns the next day to find them all leaving, but Brita has waited to give her a china cup before they depart. Paulette successfully has the abortion and reconciles with her mother about Vaughn. Lastly, Timothy leaves for school in his long pants as mature Jenny narrates about letting go. There's a little moment uh, in between these two scenes of Sister Evangelina talking to uh, Sister Winifred. Yes, I didn't somehow didn't include that, but I know what you're talking about. And she talks about, uh, Sister Evangeline talks about the vow of obedience. And obedience was, is the, the is a problem for mm-hmm. her. <laughs> and the vows of... I want to mention it both because I like that scene, but also uh, they mention there the vow of poverty and chastity and obedience are the three vows that the nuns take. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, the vow of poverty coming back up at the very end of the episode with the gift of the china cup that uh, Brita gives to Sister Mary Cynthia. Sister Mary Cynthia says, I shouldn't have it. We're not supposed to have personal possessions. Mm-hmm. And Brita says, well, we're loaning it. It's ours. We're just loaning it to you. Yeah. Which I love. I love that. It's speaking of uh, coming to people on their own terms. It's mm-hmm. an example of that re- being reciprocated. Exactly. That like Brita doesn't insist on Mary Cynthia taking it the way, like... On her terms, she's like, okay, well, we'll give it to you the way you want it given. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Absolutely. Um, but the talk between Sister Evangelina and Sister Winifred of uh, obedient Sister Evangelina says, like, I have to <laughs> I have to be the one who's nursing Sister Monica Joan and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I finally gotten used to the vow of obedience. And then they talk about their vows, and Sister Evangelina says, like, poverty was never a problem, as we've been over before. Like, Sister Evangelina was came from poverty, mm-hmm. so like a vow of poverty. She probably materially is better off. Yeah, uh, as a nun. As a yeah. nun. And chastity, she says, you offer that up, and then it's not something you think about, which is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. It's not something she thinks about, but it definitely was something that... Sister uh, Bernadette. Bernadette. Like, I'm Sister <laughs> Sheila. I can't even think of her previous name. That's definitely something that she thought about. <laughs> but uh, but obedience, not having my own head, like, this is a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't know what more I want to say about that. I just wanted to mention it because it's a really interesting scene that I really enjoyed. Yes, absolutely. And uh, 
it's interesting to think about what what of those those vows are difficult for which people and mm. uh like how Sheila didn't end up keeping her vows because she found one of them so difficult. Yeah. But I think that could be a whole discussion on a, at another time. <laughs> it could be. Um, let's talk about Paulette's abortion. Yeah. Because uh, we have had abortion come up on this uh, show before, that at this time abortions were illegal, but legal in certain circumstances. Mm. Uh so, for example, a, pre- a diabetic woman being pregnant is of such a great risk to the mother's health that an and abortion the baby's health. and the baby's health that an abortion is the best course of action at this time, and it's not illegal. And they they talk about it more than once that like like when she goes to uh, Vaughn and tells him that they want her to have an abortion, he's like they lock women up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's it's a concern. It's um, Paulette and Vaughn and Paulette's mother, whose first name I don't know if we even know. Uh, I cannot remember. I didn't write it down. Mrs. Uh, whatever her last name is, <laughs> Paulette's mother. <laughs> don't Mrs. Paulette's it. mother, Mrs. Roland. Um, they all don't know. Like they all are surprised that it's yeah. possible to get a legal abortion. Yeah, exactly. So this isn't widely known. Um, and it just really is in the uh, context of conversations we've had before on this show about abortion, back alley abortions, and uh, uh, women dying horribly or risking dying horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and frankly, I mean, in the political context of 2022 23. That, yeah. Like, uh, there are political perspectives that say abortion should never be legal under any circumstances. And we have here, like, in the 60s when abortion is illegal in the UK. And has never been legal. Has never been legal. Yes, exactly. Still, there is a recognition that there are times when it's, uh, even in that worldview, there are times when it is, uh, the best course of action for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. My heart goes out to women in the States right now who have experienced real, like, trauma and death due to the extreme abortion laws that have, or, yeah, that have passed lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is heartbreaking to me. And that, like... Here we have not, like, it's interesting, too, that in this episode, we don't have really a uh, conversation about the morality of abortion. Mm-hmm. We have a conversation. No one really. Yeah. We have a conversation. It's all about legality. About legality and it's legal. And we have a conversation about, like, is it wise? Mm-hmm. Is it, like, necessary? Um. And the medical professionals say, yes, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And the uh, non-professionals say, like, but I don't want to. That's Paulette yeah. and Vaughn. Vaughn. Like, but we don't want to. And Vaughn's, in terms of, like, legality, yeah, but it's still illegal if you don't want it. And we <laughs> don't want it. Yeah. Right? And then we have 
that all tied up and their whole story all tied up in like early on in the episode um paulette says that she loves vaughn and he loves her and her mother says you don't know what love is uh it's putting someone else's needs before your own mm-hmm. and we see uh paulette and vaughn run off into the woods and like that he's building like a little uh teepee for her like a (laughs) little shelter shelter of sticks in a in a cone and she's shivering and like she gives her her jacket and she's like i'm not shivering because of the cold i don't have any food uh this was not thought out they are they are i mean as much as this is an interesting episode they and stereotypes and whatnot they are very dumb because they're so young like as a virtue of being young young and in love and love will solve everything no, it won't when you have diabetes and no food. And there is a sense, like, uh, Phyllis early on says all these diabetics are mollycoddled. And Paulette, like, her mother is overprotective and sheltering. But also that has meant, that has uh, directly negative effects. Like, her mother calls her names and screams at her and is, like, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally abusive. But she also, like, has not had to... And therefore hasn't been confronted with the reality of what diabetes actually means Yes, to her. absolutely. So, like, she's just going to run off into the woods and eat nothing but apples. And then, like, she's out of insulin and low on sugar and sick in the woods. And she's out of insulin. Mm-hmm. And like, holy cow, that's really bad. Yep. I, uh, like, uh, I'm sure lots of people do. I have, a. Uh, story of like a co-worker who had low had diabetes and didn't eat enough one day when we were working late at night and she started acting like absolutely unhinged yeah and like crawled up on the table and like threw things at me and it was like i called 911 and they gave her a cookie and she was better yeah <laughs> and it was just like that's my little uh personal witnessing of like you know, it's not, not something to mess around with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not well thought out. She can't have the apples. They're not good enough. And he uh, steals a car mm-hmm. to bring her safety because he does exactly what her mom said love was earlier. He does what's best for her, even when it's not what she wants or what he wants. Mm-hmm. He... Uh, he demonstrates love in exactly the terms that her mother wants love to be demonstrated. Yeah. Her mother and her reconcile at the end in a way that I... I it's the kind of show this is where things always wrap up. I think that there's still a lot of uh, work to be done between the two of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think that this is the end of their relationship troubles. No. No, and we have, like, earlier, we have Paulette in hospital as a social work, like, under uh, the banner of social work because of her home situation. Mm-hmm. That is, like, they don't quite, they make a small deal of it, but it's, like, they take her out of her home because her mother is abusive. Mm-hmm. Because she is a child and her mother is being abusive to her. Yeah. That's 
they kind of are like working it out on paper as if that's why but like that's also literally why yeah right is why that why she's in the hospital in the first place and not being cared for by her mother because her mother is like uh the, the we can say they reconcile at the end but they still have a complicated relationship by the end of the episode mm-hmm. based on a complicated past yeah. Uh, let's just mention the square dance. Let's mention the square dance. Looks like so much fun. Um, I want to mention uh, Patsy and Delia. Are they dancing together? It was like, I mean, it's square dancing, so they're all in a square. But in square dancing, uh, you usually have two men and two women. And I felt like they were dancing together, which I, I feel like they can just... It's so interesting in the 60s how... Uh, Gay relationships are so, like, it's illegal, blah, blah, blah. But a lesbian relationship just kind of flies under the radar so easily. Yeah, for sure. Because we can imagine, it. we don't see it in this scene, but we can imagine in an earlier scene, Trixie and Cynthia dancing together. Exactly. And no eyebrows would be raised. Mm-hmm. So, like, Patsy and Delia can dance together in yep. public. They can actually be each other's dance partner. And mm-hmm. everyone's just like, it's just gals being pals. Just gals being pals. <laughs> While we're talking about the square dance and everything around that, like the square dance is great. Um, Fred inviting Violet to the square dance, being so like, I'm so proud of Fred for like just coming in and the end of the show for not making it be like a haha comedy of errors asking out. He's like, yeah. do you want to go to a dance with me? Mm-hmm. And they talk about their spouses uh, and their pe- past, and they are. I really like that asking out scene for how forthright they both are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's to the show's credit, actually. Yeah. That, like, they don't make the fact that they are both uh, widowed uh, a source of, like, either embarrassment or or uh comedy yeah yeah which a lesser show i think would have like oh you know yeah and then they go to the square dance and they're adorable and i love them going in and the the boys make fun of fred's shirt and Mm -hmm. violet defends him yeah it's very sweet it's very sweet also and defends him with like it's pretty rude to make fun of him when we're here to send you on a holiday Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly it's a fundraiser and that uh, preparing for this square dance, you mentioned um, Phyllis being awkward with the rest of the nurses, but it's like she's trying to bond with them. She's like, call me Phyllis for tonight only. Yeah, for <laughs> tonight only. when we're off duty. Yeah. And Delia brings in bourbon. It's like American scotch. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that line. That's a great line. <laughs> and I, I just, all of that is very lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like a grand time. And while they're at the square dance, that's where Dr. Turner is. And that Vaughn can show up at the square dance to get him and mm-hmm. run in and yeah. uh, disrupt the... It's a, well, it's a well-written thing to have those two plots come together like that. Yeah. Agreed. Um, is there anything else to talk about? There is Pegeen. Pegeen gets out of bed to see Attracta's son and then holds him yeah and then dies and then dies and we have i just i don't have like a huge um 
symbolic thematic meaning, but as they're burning Pegin's caravan, one of the travelers sings The Grasp of Time. Mm. And I just wanted to mention it because of how much I love that moment. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Burning the caravan uh, is like... I didn't look up, I don't know, I assume that it is like a, a traditional thing in Irish traveler culture. Yeah. But uh, symbolically, it's like a Viking funeral. Mm-hmm. It's like burning their ship. Yep. Um, it symbolized that she's not traveling with them anymore. And I love the song as sung, like it's a gorgeous moment in the, the show. I have the whole words of the song written down, but I'm not going to read them all. But it's Read about, some of them, though. Uh, the skies have fallen down. In despair, my heart does drown. I dread each day. The nights are far worse. My heart, it has no relief. Till the ground summons me beneath. This burden I bear. Each moment is a curse. Uh, and this, it's about the death of, like, uh, uh, I'll join you and the child soon. Uh it says our two soul internal our two souls entwined beyond all time so it's a mourning song for the death of uh presumably uh wife and child um and the other musical thing in this episode that goes along with it is as Pe- uh, Attracta is giving birth we flash to the nun singing de profundus mm, which we right. often pair with births it's a part of Compline that they sing uh, regularly. Mm-hmm. But De Profundis is out of the depths I cry to you. Oh Lord, please hear my my wailing. I didn't write down the words because I expected that I would know it and then I didn't. <laughs> um, but the grasp of time is like I fall down into the depths uh, and then the De Profundis is out of the depths I cry to you. And we get it in the backwards order. So we get them crying out of the depths before we get them falling into the depths. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it still is like one of the things this show does again and again that I always love is like birth, death uh, are tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're tied together musically as well as in imagery and in plot. So what was your favorite part of this episode? My favorite part was the song. <laughs> <laughs> the part you just mentioned? The Grasp of Time yeah. as sung by... Uh, one of the Irish travelers, uh, I'm sure as sung by a professional musician, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as they're burning the caravan, I thought that was so moving and beautiful. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite part of this episode? I think, aside from just like Maria Doyle Kennedy being just in it and good, um, I th- I like all the parts with the travelers, uh... I think I think I gotta agree with you. The burning the the trailer and the beauty of that kind of funeral scene was just poignant and lovely. Yeah, and then also the funny sister of Angelina. You know my feelings about Quiche. <laughs> you <laughs> know my feelings about Quiche. <laughs> Cracks me up every time. Um, so. On a little bit of a personal note, this is our first time recording in our brand new house. We have kind of a space now where we can record and shut the door. And <laughs> apparently the fur- furnace is a bit noisy. So if you hear some furnacey sounds, uh, it's cold here and we need a furnace. But uh, 
thanks for uh, listening to us and keeping on board with our Call the Midwife podcast. Uh, where can you support us, Paul? You can uh, support us on Patreon at ClockworksCast, patreon.com slash ClockworksCast. That'll support this podcast and everything that we do at Clockworks Academy, which you can find at clockworksacademy.com. You can talk to us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion, or you can email Poplar or Poplar Opinion, they both work, at clockworksacademy.com. And let us know your thoughts about this episode or call the midwife in general. We would love to hear from you. Um, I would love to hear if anyone uh, has any experience with uh, pregnancy and diabetes and what the deal is with that. Because I didn't really research it a lot. And I would love to know more about when that uh, became safe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And thank you very much for listening. We'll be back again next week. Until then... I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. <laughs>